Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to talk this morning from one of the Psalms, Psalm 73. Just going to read the first couple of verses and then we're going to just take a few moments today just to look through this. So we will eventually read it all. A psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good. Good to Israel. Surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, says Asaph, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we consider your word and may the power of your word be released among us speak into lives I entrust this to you now in the name of Jesus Amen one of the things that you probably don't notice when you read particularly the Psalms you may not always notice that quite often at the beginning the name of the writer is included. Psalm of David. And here a psalm of Asaph. It might be Asaph, but I'm going to call him Asaph. A psalm of Asaph. And Asaph writes, I don't know how many, about 10, 12 psalms in the book. Some are him, some are his sons um, that are also called Asaph. And I want to, just before we read this, I want to explain a little bit about who, who, who he is. Because who he is will really help us to understand what the psalm is about. Asaph was a worship leader, songwriter, prophet, and godly father. That's who he was. You know that when the temple was built, the real temple, you know, the one that God uh, brought into being under King David. There was a physical building called the temple. It doesn't exist today, except a little bit of it in ruins does, but generally it's gone. But there used to be a temple where the people of God used to come. And in that temple, this is the place that had the inner court, the outer court, you know, the sanctuary and all this. You've seen drawings of it in your Bible. Somewhere around the maps section, you know, map of Bethlehem and then a picture of the temple. Great big construction. And Asaph was a friend, a personal friend of King David. He lived at the same time as him. And in the temple, Asaph had, he had a job. I believe he was a Levite, so he's one of the, one of the priestly order. But he had a job and his job was worship leader in the temple. That's 
That's who he was. Worship leader in the temple, or at least one of them. I think the word of God records about three or four of them. And they would lead the worship in the temple. Uh, Vocally and on instruments, a bit like we do today. But when you look at the word of God and you look at Asaph, actually he's an interesting guy. Because on one occasion he's called a seer. S-E-E-R, a seer. Meaning he sees things. He's a seer. And that means he was a prophet. So he was a prophetic person who was also a worship leader. Not only that, but he wrote the songs. It's one thing to sing songs, lead worship, but he actually was a writer of the songs. And uh, in those days, they called them psalms, and that's why we have this book. So Asaph was a writer of the worship, a leader of worship, and a prophet. Someone who had a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I put up here a godly father because his children continued to do the same thing as him. They became also worship leaders in, in the temple. And they also became prophetic people. He produced these wonderful, these wonderful sons. Sometimes you see in the Bible, the sons of Asaph. So you've got the context of who he is. He's not an incidental character. He's not a, he's not a kind of a, who is that person? He's a personal buddy of King David. And this psalm is an amazing psalm. It's, a, if, it's almost like an extract from his diary that he wishes no one maybe ever read. Not even Rebecca Brooks got hold of this. But this is like a secret little thing that he poured out one day. And I don't know if he was ever horrified to find out that it made it into the Bible, the world's best-selling book. But it is a sort of a, a lament of his depression and his confusion. So what I want to do today is just read through a fair amount of it and just comment on it. Because I think that maybe some of the issues that Asaph had, we also sometimes have. So what happened in Psalm 73? Here we go. Number one, we discover that Asaph suffered from what I've called here, ill-informed envy. Ill-informed envy. That means envy that wasn't really based upon the truth but based upon a funny disposition inside his head. Let's just read um, a little bit of this, episode 3 going onward. He says here, As for me, verse 2, my feet had almost slipped. He begins by saying, God is good, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. Why? Why? Because, verse 3, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph looked around him and he was a godly man. Let's call him a Christian. That's not the term maybe that would be used then, but it's a term that you know we could uh, perhaps use now. And here is the man 
a Christian man dedicated to God. But what he discovers is that everyone else seems to be having a better time than him. He was the man of God. In fact, he was in the temple leading worship. And as he came into the temple with his harp or his timbrel or whatever they had, he's up there leading worship in this huge place. But on the inside, he was crumbling away. And he was crumbling away because other people seemed to be having a better time than him. And he's caught with the confusion of it. Let's look at some of this. Verse 3 onwards. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is what he thought. Verse 4. He's thinking about the people that are not him. Particularly wealthy and wicked people as far as he was concerned. And he says this. They have no struggles. You see what I mean when I said it was ill-informed? They have no struggles. He sat down and penned this one day, everyone else is having a better time than me. I have all these problems, but everyone else has no struggles. It's just me. If you like, he says, I'm the only one who's stressed around here. Everyone else is having a whizzy, jolly time, but I'm having a nightmare. Where is God in all of this? He says they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. So not only was he saying that everyone else didn't have any stress, but now he's saying, but everyone else seems to be healthy. Why am I so sick? As he hobbled into the temple to lead worship that day. Why Why am I limping and I'm the good guy? I'm the guy who prays. Why am I struggling here? I'm supposed to be the Christian. I'm a prophet. They're calling me a seer in the magazines around here. But everyone else has no trouble, but I have trouble. Their bodies are healthy and strong. In other words, his, his was not. Verse 5, I love this. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. In other words... They got no, they got no problems. Therefore, he says, pride is their necklace. Pick it up in verse, where should we pick it up? Verse 12, perhaps. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. They got much more money than me. Here I am, I'm singing hallelujah. And while I'm singing hallelujah, my neighbor across the road, all he seems to have is a better car and a, 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 I just heard that, I just heard that that lady I work with who blasphemes and is foul mouth, I just heard she got a promotion. Lord, what's going on around here? He had these kinds of struggles. They are increasing in wealth. And this is the sad bit. He says in verse 13. Surely in vain. Have I kept. My heart. 
pure. It's been a waste of time being holy because it hasn't, it hasn't paid me. That's what he's saying. Surely in vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Verse 14, all day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. Every day is just a challenge for me. It's just amazing that this guy there in the ministry, in this very important ministry, but this is what he was thinking on the inside. Everyone's healthier than me. Everyone's got more money than me. No one's as stressed as me. And surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. What's the point? What's the point of being clean when it doesn't seem to benefit me? That was the stuff going on inside his, inside his head. And then theological confusion. We're missing the verses on the screen here, but we can read them right here in the Word of God, can't we? He says, verse 6, Pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limit. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. He doesn't understand it. These people don't walk with God and yet they're the ones with, with all the power or the influence. They're the ones who seem to, who seem to not have any troubles. Asaph has what I can only describe as a hang-on minute. You know what a hang-on minute is? When you do this, hang on. What's happening to me? He says right at the beginning, he says, surely God is good, but it's not working out for me. And then we come back to the very beginning. He says, my foot had almost slipped. Verse 2, I nearly lost my foothold. This confusion had the power to steal his faith. And it has the power to steal yours and mine as well. This is not about a man from thousands of years ago. This is about you and me. It's like the Bible, the Holy Spirit has allowed this rather sad psalm. Can, and by the way, this is a psalm. Can you just imagine singing this somewhere? It's, it's a song. Can you imagine standing in nice, neat rows going, My foot had almost slipped. The wicked scoff and mock. I don't think you'd sell too many CDs doing that. That wouldn't go down well in Costa at all. Flawed him. Literally, he nearly slipped, he says. And sometimes this can happen to us. It's just so wonderful of God to allow this to find its way in the pages of the Bible. Such a very hard thing to read. 
But why is it there? It's there because it's an example of what can happen to you. You could be in a glorious place where people are ill and they get set free and healed and you go, you leave ill. And as you're walking out, still ill, you see the healed person walking out and you look across and you think, hang on a minute. I'm sure I've been to Bible study more often than them. Hang on a minute. They're new. I, this used to wind people up when we had the Torquay revival many years ago. When I was part of this church in Torquay and people would get healed of pains and diseases very, very quickly. But do you know who the people were who were getting healed? The people who were brand new. And everybody clapped, but I know what they were all thinking. They thinking, well, why wasn't it me? I've been coming here for years listening to this dreadful preaching. Why aren't I healed? He only just showed up. He's even wearing a baseball cap. What's that about? She only just arrived. How come she got touched by God and I didn't? What's going on? Lord, in vain have I kept my heart pure. And this can happen to you. When you see other people seemingly doing well. And now I'm not so much talking about other people in church. But just other people in life. In your family, says the Lord. In your family, says the Lord. There you are, trying to live your life right. But there you look and see your brother. He seems to be doing all right. You see your, you see your, uh, your younger sister. She seems to be doing all right. I'm the one with no job. I'm the one with a, with a dodgy ankle. What's going on? Lord, you don't make sense. And so he had this deep theological confusion and ill-informed envy. He was aware of his responsibility. If you look in the Word of God again in Psalm 73, he writes and he says, verse 10, Therefore people turn to them and drink up their waters in abundance. He says, these people who seem to be doing so well, they're actually, not only are they not Christians, but they're teaching others that it's okay not to be a Christian because they seem to be doing okay. People are coming and drinking up their wisdom, sitting on chat shows and giving advice. He says, they say, verse 11, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, verse 12. Always carefree, they increase. In wealth. Meanwhile, verse 14, he says, and I am punished every morning. How come I wake up depressed each morning? How come I'm in this, this, this dead end job? How come I'm in this scenario? When my brother, who doesn't honor God, he seems to be doing really well. What's going on? Hang on, Lord. Hang on. He was aware of his responsibility. He says in, in verse 15, he says, If I had said this, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. You see that in verse, in verse 15? He says, If I had got up and told everyone this, I know I would have offended God. I would have taught people something wrong. I would have taught them something wrong. He says in verse 16, 
when I try to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. And then verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of the Lord. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. What's he talking about? All day long, he thought these things. All day long, he considered these problems that he had. All day long. And what was the solution? And what would be your solution? To this this confusion, this sense of injustice. He said, I thought it, I thought it, I thought it, I was plagued by it. And then, he says, I entered the sanctuary of God. Can you say amen? Then he arrived, and by the sanctuary of God, here, he's talking about the real temple, you know, the real building. It's not figurative, it's literal here. He arrived at the sanctuary of God. He took his place on whatever level of platform they had. He took his harp. He brought forth his voice. No mics in those days, everybody. No one listening on the internet either. But he began to worship the Lord. And he began to lead the people in the worship of the Lord. Playing and singing. And as he began to do this, the presence of God began to fill his life again. And we don't know what exactly it was. We don't know exactly what happened in that, in that meeting. Was it the manifest glory of God? You know, sometimes in the Bible... The glory cloud came into that room, didn't it? Do you know what I'm talking about? The glory cloud filled the building. On occasions it says the priests could not function because of the cloud. That while they were shouting, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. Suddenly this smoky cloud appeared in front of them. In another place it says the priests could not stand Because of the cloud. What does it mean that they could not stand? It meant that they fell over. The place was full of the glory of God. And in that moment, maybe he was changed. But maybe it wasn't that. Maybe as he began to hear the the law of Moses being read, as he began to hear the scriptures being read, he was changed on the inside. Or maybe, just maybe, It was a special occasion, the Day of Atonement. And as he saw the sacrificial animals being brought into the temple and slain for his sin. And there he is up there in the back row or the section of the platform. And he sees these animals being slain as a sacrifice for his sin. He begins to think to himself, thank God. Thank God he's washed my sins away. 
but we, we don't know what it was. But one thing we do know, that it was the presence of God that didn't just fill that building, but filled his heart. Filled his heart. And he went from being someone who, who was depressed. He went from being someone who didn't understand why is my life not quite working out, especially in the light that other people's is working out. And he went from a grump to a glorious worshipper of God. He says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then, verse 17, I understood, he says, their final destiny. He moved from the temporal to the eternal, to use the phrase I've got here on the screen. He stopped thinking about today. And he started to think about something else. Do you know what it is? He started to think about not just today, but forever. Forever. Right now you may not be able to pay that bill. But there's going to come a day when you're not going to have any bills. Uh, By the way, I don't mean that you'll go to jail. Right now, you might have arthritis in the hand, but there's going to come a day, either here or there, where you won't. And something happened to Asaph that day. The people he envied the most, suddenly, he was in despair for them. He says, they are on the slippy ground. Verse 18, you place them On slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Here's a great confession, verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant, a brute beast before you. To walk around envious of everyone else turns you into an animal, he says. No, he catches a glimpse of eternity. Sometimes Jane and I go through some troubles and we'll be driving in a car and one of us will be ill or down or stressed about something. Or suddenly we get a bill or, you know, something we can't handle. And either Jane will say it or I'll say it. We turn to each other in the car with one, of course, of us looking straight ahead um, on the road. (laughs) Otherwise, we might get to eternity just that little bit quicker. And she'll say to me or I'll say to her, yeah, but our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. And that's what Asaph understood. That it wasn't about whether or not he had gold or silver on earth. It was about whether he had gold or silver in heaven. It wasn't about his job prospects on earth. It was about his future prospects in heaven. That all the things that he might have chased after in this life. Clearly, he was really down about how much money he had. It's very interesting to know 
what worship leaders in the temple were paid in those days because he didn't seem to think it was enough. Maybe someone should have come up to him and gone, yeah, but you're going to get a real good like, royalty check on the Bible in the future. It's going to sell millions. No, he was penniless. At least that's his perception. But he understood it wasn't about earth. It was about heavenly things. And do you know what? One of the great blessings of the Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement that followed, an amazing blessing is this. That the move of the Holy Spirit in the 20th century, it restored to the church that had largely forgotten it. The fact that there were experiences to be had with God, miracles that could happen, not just in the Bible, but right here today. A God who was powerful, who could impact your life. And something happened during that Pentecostal revival that changed the whole church. There's suddenly, there was an expectancy. God could move here. And the church went from being a people who were just waiting to go to heaven to being a group of people who are now experiencing a taste of heaven down here. And do you know what? I am all for that. The kingdom of heaven is among us. One time I was at a a gathering and a guy said, I just want you to hold out your hand in front of you. I've done this here once. So I held out my hand. He said, hold it as far away from your your head as you can. Okay. Now he said, take your other hand and touch it. And let me assure you, you can do that. If you can't, there's something wrong with your your arm, you know. But most people can do that. So I took my hand and I touched it with my other hand. He said, thus the scripture is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's so close. You can reach for it. You can touch it. And I believe the kingdom of God is at hand. I believe that God can do extraordinary things here today, inside this room. It's not a temple. But we are the temple. But the Spirit of God can move to and bring a bit of heaven to earth today. Some of us experienced that during the worship this morning. But let me tell you this. We can't go too far with all that. Because as much as we might experience down here, Actually, he has gone to prepare a place for us. And if he has gone to prepare a place for us, he will come back and take us to be with himself so that we might be where he is. It's going to get better in the future. The day you die will be the best day of your life. Don't tell your family that. They think you've gone a bit crazy. If some of you are ever around to come to my funeral, and I pray I outlive you all, even the tiniest children. But probably I won't. But at my funeral, please don't let anyone come up here and say that I'm dead. I am not dead. I will be still, but I will not be dead. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if anyone at my funeral should say that I'm dead, 
I will come back from the dead, come out of the coffin and put it right. Probably. Because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I told a story a few weeks ago of going to a a little bungalow in Essex, just the other side of Saffron Walden, if you know the area here. And I went the other side of Saffron Walden to a little bungalow, and there was a lady dying. And they said, will you come and pray for her? You know, she was like 75, 76, something like that. Maybe older. And she's not well. She could die. Will you come and pray for her that she might be healed? When I got there, I looked, there was standing all the family in the room. And I got down next to her. I knew the lady a little bit because I used to preach in their church. So she knew me a bit. And I looked into her eyes. And all her body was in pain and difficulty. And there was nothing more than I would have loved to to have seen her leap out of the bed and dance around the place. But you've got to listen to God. Amen? And I said to her, darling, I said, "Are are you ready to go home? Are you ready to go home and be with Father? And her husband had died just a few months before. So I said, are you ready to go home and see her? I can't remember his name now, Bill, Bert, but you know, I can't remember his name. I got it right on the day, right? She didn't go, who's Bill? Are you ready to go home and see Bill or Bert or David? She said, oh yes, I'm ready to go home. Then I said, I pray the Lord take you to him speedily. And you know, that lady never asked for healing again. That lady never wants asked anyone to pray for her healing again. Something happened in that room. I wasn't responsible for it. I merely witnessed it. But a peace came upon her and within a few weeks after that she'd gone home. She left her body behind. And she went home. The Baptist pastor led the service and he said that this was of all the funerals he had ever taken. A funeral of the most peaceful person he had ever had contact with. Because she recognized as much as it's good to experience God down here. Our destination is up there. Now I know a lot of us are thinking, let's not try to go there anytime soon. But I assure you of this, when that lady left her body behind, And stood in the glorious presence of Jesus. She did not think to herself, do you know what? I really want to go back to that bungalow in Essex. She never thought that again. I'm so sorry for you, and I'm sometimes sorry for myself, when we go through hard times problems, heartache. And like Asaph, sometimes we can get a bit paranoid and a bit too much thinking we're the center of the universe as well. 
everyone's having a better time than me. Don't get like that. Because they're honestly not. Did you turn the news on yesterday? So things are not so bad for you. Oh, I'm, I suffer every day. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But let me tell you this. Catch a glimpse of the eternal. Not just the temporal. Because the world and its present form is going to pass away. And behold, he will make all things new. And to finish, here's the question. How can we have this truth come into our hearts? It's no good just reading it in a book. It's no good just hearing someone talk about it. The way is the Asaph way. And that is this. When I came into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. There's something about being in the presence of God that can change all of our lives and give us heavenly perspectives. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.